It's Not The Length Podcast. Welcome to It's Not The Length Podcast. I'm Paul Evans. And I'm Ben Mundy. How's it going, Mundy? Well, thanks, Paul. Um, bright, beautiful spring day here. Um, sun is out. The kids are back at school. Um, there's a roadmap to recovery. I've had a few waves in the last few weeks. So, I'm, you know, given that we're in the grip of a national and global pandemic, I'm feeling pretty good. What about you? Yeah, pretty good, mate. I had a belt of a weekend. Um, it was sort of part weekend, part sort of spiritual kind of cosmic experience. Um, started off early morning inside the tube, looking out um, from inside the cone. Uh, the Dawn Patrol left-hander in Senius, and I finished off my Sunday night uh, up in the clouds, looking down on griffin vulture colonies up in the Pyrenees, um, which also included a little st- stopped on the way home in a little bowl- boulder stream by some waterfalls in a little woodland and cooked some falafel over an open fire with the wife and the kids. We all jumped in nude and swam amongst the trouts in this little babbling brook. Um, a good time is had by all, mate. Great to hear you uh, communing with nature, Paul. Always, always good to hear. What else has been going on? You, you've been keeping across happenings in the surf world. Any, any big kind of, any scoops, any big news flashes to bring us? Um, well, I mean, we're on the eve of the great WSL sort of breakout, aren't we? The, the comps are about to start. Uh, the surfers are in quarantine, which we might get to a bit further down the track. Uh, I've been spent the last sort of few weeks chatting to a lot of the world's best shapers, Paul, as it turns out, doing a rolling series and chat to guys like Matt. And, and Christian Bradley. <laughs> and Christian. A lot of the world's best shapers and Bradley. He's right up there, mate. He's right up there. Uh, he's one of them. Yeah, Definitely. He's, and uh, yeah, I spoke to him last week. He actually, he actually had some very interesting things to say, actually. Uh, he had to sneak out when, when um, under the watchful eyes of Belly, he only had like eight minutes to chat before he was back on the clock. But uh, yeah, he had some good things. Matt Bylas was good. Um, Pizel was good. They're actually all quite um, interesting kind of guys. They've all had, basically the upshot is, they've had the best year of their lives, not shaping hundreds of boards for those irritant pro surfers and making hand over fist in the world's best uh, year for surfboard sales, I'd say is the top line uh, sort of that I've discovered. Chats to all those guys. And maybe, just maybe, a couple of new surfboards coming to Monday's way as part of the process, Paul. So the World Surf League's charter flight from Los Angeles to Sydney happened on yesterday. At some stage, you were trying to get on it. Uh, tell me what happened. I know that there are 30,000 Australian nationals trying to get back into Oz. Yeah, I'm fucking you one thought of them. You, you, you thought you could jump the queue purely based on your essential sort of surf writing qualities. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. What what happened, Ben? How, how did you well, not get on that? Yeah, flight? I looked into it. I, then, I also had a meeting with um, the Box to Box film production. So they're the guys that are doing the uh, WSL Studios sort of program that's going to go on. Uh, it's on Apple TV. Hopefully I'm not breaking any contractual <laughs> obligations here. But, yeah, they're filming. They're the guys that did... Um, the Senna documentary and Maradona and did The Drive to Survive, um, which has been a really successful Formula One show on Netflix. Anyway, yeah, I had a, had a meeting with those guys because they're based in London. They were going out there. And, uh, yeah, I thought I might be able to sort of weasel my way in there as some type of surf expert, Paul. Um, but after an hour, they just sort of pumped me with questions and wrote down loads of, loads of notes. Um, I haven't really heard, mm. haven't really heard back, <laughs> to be honest. 
So yeah, that Did, that mm. that flight, I was then I was I, I was going to go as I don't know, could I go as Richard Dogmarsh's chiropractor or you know something? I was I was, I was looking at all the angles, but um, as it turns out, I well, missed the boat, missed the plane, and uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't get there, Paul. I didn't get there. Well, surf's not dead here, mate. It's been really really busy. Waves have been good. Um, you may not be that surprised to learn. Uh, it's been busy with a lot of people out. A lot of people go surf early in France these days, even in the middle of winter. So that's quite new. The February dawn patrol, 50 people out first light in sort of January, February. It's unheard of around here, but that's a new thing. So lots of people enjoying um, enjoying the Stoker surfboard riding, Ben. Who's you, who are your favourite surf photographers of all time, Ben? Top three. Uh, Tony Nolan, the darkroom nudist from the track stays. Um, I would say Tan Gra- Teddy Grambo. A legend and a gentleman, and one of the great surf photographers of all time. And I would say the man you um, probably talked to recently on the wavelength, Johnny Frank. As uh, I've got a soft spot for Johnny Frank. Paul, who, who are your favourite uh, surf photographers? Ah, uh, Chris Burkard, Chris Burkard, and Chris Burkard. I'd say. And luckily, Ben, guess what? We got him on the show. I had a chat with him. I got up at 5am, set up a little office in my van, got the table out so not to wake up the kids. He was driving back from the High Sierra Yosemite National Park and we had a great, great chat. Uh, brilliant. He's a great interview. Um, he's a great photographer and a really interesting really interesting guy. So um, we're going to hear that a bit later on the show. But some great insights from, from Berkey. And um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just I just awesome that I think he's uh, he's sort of made himself so accessible to people. He's got like three three and a half million Instagram followers, but he's still not too busy for little old Evzy. So that's cool. Did you ask him about when he was a private tour guide for Justin Bieber around Iceland? Did you ask him about that? I didn't make well I mainly kept it on, on more I wasn't into the sort of celebrity stuff it was just sort of more of a pure sort of surf surf stroke photography vibe that we bonded on but I, I mean you, you might hear in the in the piece that a lot of my questions before he answered them he, he did make a point telling me what a great question it was like oh wow another great question Paul like classic American style like really good for your self-confidence talking to Americans they're like really kind of like big you up don't they just kind of ruffle your hair give you a little, a little slap on the bum so um yeah, I needed a little pickup, and I got one in the form of Berkey, so that's fun. Should we get in some good bads? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, Monday, it's time to get into some good bads, some stuff that's been going on that we liked, stuff we didn't like so much. First of all, Ben, what have you got that's good? I've got some good old guys doing some good surfing, Paul. And uh, I enjoyed a little story. It was actually posted by um, Big Bad Bobby Bain, uh, former Australian tour surfer and a bit of a legend. And he wrote uh, on his Instagram story, he showed some footage of there's an old guy called, 62-year-old called Timmy Taplin. Uh, he's a sort of old dollar local and he gets this um, right hand, like a crazy tube out at, it's at uh, Guillotines down there on the south coast of, of New South Wales. And uh, his sons are filming it. Um, which sort of adds to the, to the thing. And I remember growing up and he was always a bit of the, the main man, like a charger. But now at 62, still getting um, absolutely shacked off his head on a really heavy wave. It kind of gave me a, a bit of hope. Um, and then not, I think not long after that, I think there was that one of Mike Ho. I think Mike, he might be 63. He got that really good backdoor barrel. 
which I can, you know, that's still a good effort. But I really liked uh, Timmy Taplin's massive tube as we get an older Paul. Uh, it, it does just give you that little bit of spark, a bit, a bit of, bit of hope. Are you are you planning on barreling into your sort of pension age? Is that is that part of the Monday future? You think, or how do you rate your chances of still ripping? Uh, yeah, not great. Well, I not not great to be fair. <laughs> not great. I because well on a on a recent surf, I um, it was pretty solid, and I mean it's cold. Obviously, I'm in a five four three, and I hadn't surfed as much as I should be, and it was six foot, and I got a, I got I could two waves but on the second wave i was paddling back out and i was already feeling and i was already starting to get a bit tired and like a wave was coming but i just knew that i couldn't i couldn't swing because i was too tired i was like and i sort of it reminded me of like if you've ever which i did see once on a safari a cheetah when it when it catches an animal it uses so much energy its heartbeat is so fast it just has to lie down for like five to ten minutes. It can't even move. That's when it's like mo- it's most vulnerable when other animals can come and catch its prey. And I, after catching two waves on a six foot day, I was I felt like that cheetah was just <laughs> I just had to stay still before I caught my next wave. So yeah, it, it, not not ideal and uh, not giving too much confidence, but. You know what, Paul? You know, it's, there's still hope. There's, I've still got mm. a bit of time. And um, yeah, you you are you plan is it like yoga? What's what's your key to unlocking? Is sort of to staying relevant into old age. Yeah, I think yeah. Well, I've been doing forty minutes of yoga every day uh, lately, and that's been massive for me. And yeah, swimming and obviously just fucking being near the ocean might be a bit of a help. So I've got to I've got to fix that. All right, Paul, what have you got? That's- oh. Yeah, I'd like to talk about Harry Bryant in Biohaz, which I, I, I really like the name. He dropped a new clip. Um, it's I don't get that excited about clips, but um, there's a lot to love about Biohaz. Some of the best kneeboarding, I would say, ever, ever captured on a surfboard. Some of the best drop knee. Um, some just mental waves in, I guess, West Oz. I don't know if it's... The Bluff or Nalu or something like that, but just some big, soft, quite scary, amazing blue lefts. But that's not what I, you know. What I really picked out about it. Um, the thing that kind of stood out to me about Biohaz, about Harry, is I just quite like a sort of a chubby, slightly portly surfer. I mean, he's not actually that fat. He's just got kind of a fat face. But um, I just I think it's one of the great things about surfing. He can be like a larger, larger gentleman or lady. Um, and still be super relevant as a sort of professional athlete. And I think, you know, when you think of some of your sort of all-time favourite favorite sort of fat surfers, you know, thinking of like Sean Briley, Mick Lowe, Dane Reynolds, still still pretty fat. Obviously, Oki. Um, there's Kikoa Bakao. Any others to add? Kikoa Bakao, I guess he's one. Any other, any other fat surfers we should know about and we should admire? Uh, Kong. He's, I mean, his nickname was Fat Boy. Um, yeah, but he, he was actually shit, though, wasn't he? And, and, <laughs> and, and still is a sort of stain, a stain on surfing. Yeah, Harry Bryant, he's um, he's amazing, and um, I, I hope he doesn't change. I hope he doesn't go kind of keto or carb free or whatever and get some crazy diet. Um, you don't get so many sort of chubby sports people in, in other sports, but there's something I remember. I don't know. This is, might be a little bit niche. But that's never stopped us in the past. But um, for fans of sort of 90s cricket, I don't know if you remember in, Imzamam Ul-Haq, who was Pakistan's, I think, like number three. 
um, who was fat when he was like 21. He was already like had a double chin. He used to come out sort of chewing gum. He looked knackered just walking out to the crease. Um, and he was just unbelievable. He used to always like play it really late and just even against like real fast bowlers, just smash it out the ground. He's um he was a great fat cricketer, but um yeah, I like a I like a bigger man, and um I love Harry Bryant in Biohaz. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Yeah, uh, Paul. Yeah. What else have you got? This Pauline Mensa. Yeah, she's good. Uh, girls don't surf, Ben. Do they? <laughs> Or do they? <laughs> do they? They do. They do. I heard they do. It's the name of a film. It's a new documentary. It's been a lot written and said about it in the media recently. I've been tuning in, listening uh, closely. Uh, sounds like a great film. Very interesting. All about the women surfing from that kind of eighties period. And you know, there's a few key kind of storylines. Quite sort of personal stories to do with various illnesses, physical and mental. And, some other kind of personal issues. Paul Immense has got a really interesting story because she's the 93 world champion. Didn't receive any prize money um, for winning the world title that year. So they've had a little, had a little fundraiser for her recently um, and, and, you know, exceeded the target. So I thought that was great. And she's, she's given it to, I think she, I'm not sure if she maybe kept a bit for herself, but she basically gave most, if not all of it, uh, to various charities. She's got uh, like an arthritic condition that she's had a long time. She gave a lot of money to that and, a few other causes, which I thought was was totally cool. But there were some interesting points raised in this. Um, just speaking of the sort of toxic patriarchy in the Australian, particularly media and the surf media at the time. Ben you used to work for Tracks. Um, do you do you look back at your you, you know your time there with sort of slight tinges of regret to the way you treated women surfing, or you, you do you think your record stands up? Um, tough yeah, question. Definitely. Tough, question tough question for me. Yeah, I started in 2000, um, but it was definitely still in existence and then. Or there was still, we were still doing posters of, um, yeah, women in bikinis, basically like big sort of gratuitous posters. That was like a big poster. We had to pick that every every month. Um, you know, we would never think to have put a actual girl surfing on that poster. That would have been ridiculous. <laughs> um, yeah, so. Um, yeah, most definitely. I, uh, I was definitely a part of that uh, surf culture that didn't celebrate women surfing. Much to do enough. with have you Have you had much to do with Pauline Mensa? Uh, yeah, I spent a bit of time with um, Naughty Pauline in Hawaii when I was over there and surfed a bit with her in Australia. But yeah, I don't know that well. I spent a lot of time with Jodie Cooper who I just think is an amazing, amazing person. She's an absolute legend. I always had a lot of respect for all those... Those women, like, they were just super, you know, they've all got incredible stories, weren't they? Um, even, like, Lane Beachley and, and Jodes and, um, yeah, they all sort of come from pretty sort of gnarly background. So, yeah, but having respect for one thing and actually putting them in the magazine was two very different things, Paul, for which I have a, a yeah, no small amount of regret. Well, some of the some of the men at the, from the, that sort of period do, I think, end up, I'm not going to say thrown under the bus, but they do... They're portrayed in a less favourable light for some of their comments um, that they made, particularly Duma Hardman and Rob Bain, he mentioned earlier, um, for some of the stuff they they said. One of the things, one of those little sound bites is that they, they were saying that the women should have their own tour, um, which is just kind of put, put across as something controversial to say. But I'm just thinking, is, is there any merit in that, Ben? Can we think of any examples of other sports 
where the two tours are sort of you know, the same thing. You just have a men's and a women's division. And I'm thinking of like the really successful, I guess the main three in terms of kind of how lucrative and even performances. I think of like Premier League, women's Premier League completely separate. And then you got your your women's tennis tour and your women's golf tour completely separate from the men. I think it, there probably is some merit to have them to have them separate. I guess athletics track and field would be the obvious exception. But Ben, your, your thoughts on having a sort of separate standalone women's tour rather than having it just kind of bolted on as a little bit of an afterthought to the men? Um, well, yeah, I think it's... If another, another tough question yeah, from me. Well, I mean, I think they've done it in bits and they've got individual events, haven't they, So um, that are just purely for the women. Uh, and I think those events are much more... Yeah, they're you know, they're more enjoyable. They're a more entertaining sort of event on their own. That like the Maui event when it's a world titles on, it's just the girls. It's a good wave. There's no chopping and turning between men. I think that works. So um, yeah, I I mean, it's just it comes down to the financial model whether it would work. But I see no reason why not. They got their own athletes. Got their own stories. They don't need to be. Um, yeah, thrown together with with the men for any reason. I think it's gotten better. They used to actually like when the waves were shit, they'd put the women out. I mean, that happened till very recently, to be honest. So I think that's changed. Which send is, the chicks out, send the chicks out. But that's was, what they're talking about, and that's what they're talking about. Pauline's talking about in this interview, essentially. Well, I just wrote a thing on Newcastle because in two thousand and four, they had a they invited Lane Beachley as a wild card, as it's like a bit of a PR kind of stunt. And, but, and because she was a wildcard, she was the lowest seed, and she got drew Andy Irons, who was the highest seed. And so it was all of a sudden, it was like a battle of sexes, and like he was a world champ at the time, she was a world champ, obviously, and it just went massive. And then, but then Andy came out and said, literally, just at a press conference, said, "Oh, it's bullshit. Women don't deserve as much money as us. Um, they shouldn't even get as much sponsorship money." And that he reckons that he was going to start going in women's contests because that that's only fair. So even like 2004, the world champion was basically just absolutely dissing you know women and women surfing. So I mean, it's fucking recent. It hasn't. Yeah, it's that's a they've, they've fought so hard to get where where they are, and yeah. Some of the barriers that were put in place, I, yeah, I, was, I probably uh, helped prop them up. Well, it's it's more recent than that because um, I mean, Pauline was at the the Masters, the World Masters in the Azores, 20, 2018. Could be three years ago this year. And I remember you mentioned Michael Ho earlier. He actually said live in one of his interviews. There's some. There was a little bit of. Um, of a sort of a minor hoo-ha amongst some of the men about the format and they wanted to change it, whether they're going to have another elimination round or something really boring like that. Anyway, Ho wasn't happy and he was basically having a pop at um, a couple of the other surfers and he's like, yeah, some of these guys should be in the women's division. That was like his diss. That was live on the broadcast. Like his daughter is an actual professional surfer. <laughs> like that's basically now. So this isn't this isn't going back thirty years. This is like literally the last Masters event they had. Why is she called Naughty Pauline? By the way, uh, she was just she was always just very naughty. She was always like um, she was really fun, mischievous. Just get up all sorts of scraps. Yeah, she was just um just a a whirlwind. And uh, especially on the drink, yeah, she was fucking crazy. Who, she was good fun. Who else was was who else was naughty? Was Bo Emerton naughty? No. Yeah, he's st- he, yeah, he still is called naughty. He's naughty. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. 
yeah, who would you, there you go. who would you rather go on a trip with, uh, Emerton or Mensa? Naughty uh, or naughty? <laughs> I've done some trips with the male naughty. Yep. Uh, yep. And he is good fun. Um, you do need to sort of drink quite a lot. Well, we used to, but he charges. He's good fun. He's a good guy. But I, I probably I, just because I think Pauline uh, naughty, naughty Pauline might be a. Yeah, she might have better stories to tell. So, yeah, probably I'd go with um, Naughty on that one. Okay, time to go down to Wavelength Headquarters in Newquay, Cornwall, and hear from editor Luke Gartside. Luke, how's it going? Yes, good, thank you, Paul. I'm just sat in my kitchen, uh, as I have been every day for what feels like forever now. But, uh, yeah, it's lovely down here. We had a little taste of of spring last week but it looks like we're back to regular scheduled programming as of tomorrow 50 mile an hour howling westerlies back on the forecast um i don't want to make you uh, any more sad than than necessary but tell us about your badminton life and or lack of badminton in your life yeah i mean it is but a distant memory at this stage to be honest i haven't put racket to shuttlecock for yeah, well over a year now. Um, I've sort of, I've sort of let the whole thing go. Um, I, it, it enters my dreams sometimes, but I think until I've got a firm date for when sports centres will definitely be reopening, I, I can't, I can't let myself entertain the idea too thoroughly. So I think we should just move on from that one. Exciting stuff in Wavelength Towers. We've got a new issue 260 coming out for the spring. What can you reveal to the public about the brand new premium print edition of Wavelength magazine? Yeah, absolutely. Well, this year is our is our 40th birthday, which means the mag is considerably older than me, but still considerably younger than you, I think. But uh, it's going to be an exciting year either way. We're going to be celebrating in style. Yeah, not only with our forthcoming summer spring summer edition which is going to be dropping sometime in may dedicated to shifting realities which is a nice opaque theme but uh yeah plenty for readers to get their teeth into once the story starts to stack up and that lands and we've also got a couple of really exciting events in the pipeline as well so we're going to be doing the wavelength spring classic which has been postponed it's not going to be in spring because of covid it's going to be in the in the height of summer on the second weekend of july so that's super exciting and then uh what we got we got drive-in cinema coming back to the clifftops above watergate bay running for the whole of july and august and then the wavelength blue earth summit so keep your eyes trained to the wavelength website for lots of details of all of those dropping but yeah, it's going to be an exciting 40th year for us. Wavelength's much loved, of course, for its fantastic subscription offers. What kind of deals are we currently offering people to sign up and subscribe to Wavelength, become part of the community? Yeah, so we've got the, the Wavelength Stance subscription special. Get yourself a pair, a free pair of uh, John John Florence's signature Stance socks, which have got a cool atlas print on them there because he's a man who loves to travel and uh, we've also we've teamed up with our friends upper cup deluxe who are experts in male grooming uh who can offer you a little male grooming gift pack for with every subscription for uh, styling your hair for when lockdown finally lifts you can get out get a party shirt on which you can of course purchase in the wavelength shop get out in the town paint the town red with some gel in your hair so yeah we, we, we got our readers covered on that front um this shop you speak of tell me more um, well, yeah, it's the, it's the Wavelength Shop. I'm sure all of your listeners are uh, are in there browsing regularly. But if not, get in there, have a look. Basically, we curate it. It's only our it's only our favourite brands. Guys like Brixton, Deus, Hydro Flask, Keep Cup, Lightning Bolt, Monera, Ocean and Earth. Basically, everything you need 
to uh, to look great and uh, yeah, get you out in the water a bit more as well. Get outside, get surfing more. Oh. So we're, we're facilitators when it comes to that. That all sounds very exciting. Issue 260 coming up in a couple of months from now. Some great deals for subscriptions. Do check out the shop and I'm sure... The, um, the listener world and the public will join me in, in wishing Luke Face Swift return to badminton. Good luck, mate. Thank you very much, Paul. Enjoy, your, enjoy the rest of your day. It's not the length podcast. Okay, Ben. Well, after every high, inevitably, comes the low. Um, well... I tell you what, I tell you what, it's going to be bad, Paul, and it's coming, and is that is having thirty-two of the world's best surfers and their entourage in quarantine and broadcasting their day-to-day yoga routines, press-ups, day two, twenty-eight hours in the quarantine. It's coming our way. If you're on social media, it's um, it's hard to ignore, and I just know that it is going to do my head in um it's it's not going to be pretty these are guys that and girls that have spent their whole lives like just moving traveling doing whatever they want basically whenever they want and always on the move and they've got 14 days in a hotel room with nothing um and they've used to all they're used to is broadcasting about their lives and they think that's interesting and we're about to get a full throttle two-week Pipeline of Instagram shit hosed down our faces. I'm, I'm fearing, Paul. <laughs> who, who are you least? Who are you least looking forward to seeing their social output? And is it Leonardo Fioravanti? Uh, he, Courtney Conlogi might be a, a problem. Uh, she, she's already posted quite a few uh, yoga videos. She posted one like it was 15 minutes into the thing, and she was like, she rode past the camera on a skateboard. And went fifteen minutes into quarantine. That was a, that was a, that was a uh, that was a, a red flag. I was like, "This that's a big warning yes. sign." <laughs> and um, yeah, so I'm worried about that. Okay, um, Connor Coffin, are you yeah. worried about some guitar ballads? You know what? I prefer that now. I know we've he's come up on the podcast before, but yeah, yeah. at least doing something a little different. Like you got two weeks, like. Think of something super creative or come up with something that doesn't involve doing a headstand or fucking dumbbells or fucking something. I don't know. Do a live sex tape or do, fuck, do something. Like, do. Speaking, do, you of, know. speaking of which, uh, I did have an opportunity to hang out with a close friend of the show and fellow quarantina, uh, Richard Dog Marsh, former world number eight, um, year ending position, I think, 90. 92 or 93 anyway and he said that he's not even uh uh he's not saving it up he's not watching anything on netflix i told him some great recommendations he's like oh yeah i'm not saving it i'm saving it and he was saving loads of recommendations and he said he wasn't he wasn't even cranking he's saving it all for quarantine (laughs) see i prefer i'd actually prefer that as a live webcast as a live broadcast than some of the other stuff that's going to come out i swear and that, 
Just on those recommendations, I recommended Fowder to him, three series of on Netflix, and I recommend it to you, and it's not the length of Listeners Monday. It's all in Hebrew or Arabic, didn't bother me, but um, brilliant, really good. It's like uh, undercover Israeli special forces in Hebron, and a little bit Gaza, brilliant, really well done. Good, good. S- slight change of vibe, but um, <laughs> great, great series. Paul. Mm. What have you got? Well, Ben, um, I've been behind the the stab paywall. Um, been doing some pretty solid internet research, catching up some video watching. Uh, didn't didn't pay for it, obvs. Just uh, emailed Macintosh and asked him for a code because that's how tight I am. I literally haven't got five ninety nine to spend on surfing. But um, and I've been watching. Even though at- you're a man who creates content. And tries to get paid for it. Even even that, you still would not I'm fork on, out the six I mean, six bucks a month. Mate, I'm he knows me, I know him, you know, I'm I'm in I'm in the circle of trust. Oh, well, mate, like <laughs> send me a code in it. I wasn't too proud to ask and he wasn't too proud to reply with a with a code. It, great. it reminds me when I used to work at Tracks and I'd spend a month like doing like well the first week would do like probably 20 hour weeks second week like 30 hour weeks then the fourth, by the fourth week we're doing like 100 hour weeks on deadline and I'd create this you know 112 pages of a month's hard work and I'd go up to home to reddit and someone go we've got a tracks mate give me your tracks and that's fucking six bucks mate I've just spent a month of my life fucking slaving over this fucking shit um, anyway, well, what did you yep, what did you discover? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a brilliant series on there called Andy Irons and the Radicals. Episode two's up now, uh, and it's a lot of it about um, the lost five five nineteen and a quarter film board thing. And this house on the North Shore, Lord Cabins, the Lost House, and there's a lot of Corey Lopez. And I'd actually completely forgotten about Corey Lopez and how much I don't appreciate him as a surfer and as a person i've never i've never had love for Corey. um there's no there's no real reasons that i just i've just never never really been able to look at him i just i don't know if he, if, he, if he's surfing on the on tv I'll, I'll look i'll actively look the other way I, I don't know why i don't know if it's the ankle brace or just but I don't know if he looks a bit like Doctor Spock or what it is. I just, I just can't, I can't watch him. It just got me thinking, Ben. Who's, who's your least favorite kind of best surfer? Like who's sort of someone that's genuine good that you just can't sort of stand the sight of? Who's your Corey Lopez, Monday? <laughs> um, in terms, you're talking like personality or surfing? No, no, surfing, surfing, surfing. Like just surf, yeah, purely um, surf wise. Damien Hardman was always that man for me growing up. Like he was a world champion. But if I had to watch him at Bells, I was just like, no. Even in the movie, like his best ever, I think it was The Search, the first one, where it's him and Greeny in um, like perfect G-Land. That's like eight, ten-foot G-Land, and Duma's surfing amazingly well. But even then, I was just like, I just I did nothing in this that's providing any type of entertainment whatsoever. So that's, harsh. Never... <laughs> that's harsh. That's <laughs> harsh. I'd I'd take Hardman over Lopez any fucking day of the week. Uh, um, yeah, I probably would too. But you know, if you paint him into a corner, but I'd, I'd sort of yeah, I'd forgot all about Corey and how much I'd, I'd, I'm not going to say hate his surfing, but just how much I just always had a Lopez block. Um, what? Sorry, but what about Shay Lopez? Where do you put him in that sort of? I'm pantheon? just a, a completely opinion neutral on Shay. Has no effect on me. <laughs> I can't picture him surfing. 
can't imagine. I don't even know if it's really front foot stance. If you think Corey's stance was wide. I can't wider. really remember if he's a goofy or a reg, although he did drop in on me once, uh, but it didn't, didn't particularly bother me. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I just, I did meet Corey on one particular occasion. Um, it was at the O'Neill event in Santa Cruz, and there was a, there's always a, every year they have a dinner at Pat O'Neill, so the inventor of the leash, Pat O'Neill, son of Jack O'Neill, at his house, and he's got a lovely, lovely place over there on the east side of Santa Cruz, and the catering was uh, Mexican food, delicious. Um, yeah, a great time was had by. Oh, I met I met Sean Thompson. That was sort of coming through out of the kitchen door into the, another part of the house. I was like, oh, someone was sort of standing away. It's Sean Thompson. Did some great chatting with him. I watched the, his film on the flight over, busting down the door. So I was like, ah, oh, Sean Thompson, I saw your film, and he was stoked. Like you know, really interested in um in my in my thoughts on it. Uh, but anyway, anyway, so I'm digressing a bit. Um, it was around about the time when there was that incident with um, with Mitch Colborn in Canada. I don't know if you remember, Colborn got in a bit of trouble and got arrested. Uh, I think his passport taken away uh, in in Tofino for I think they got drunk or on some you know whatever they they were um, not in a, a sober acid, or an acid. Some I don't know what it was, but they were doing something, and I think he went did a wee or something. He got a bit nude and he. Happened to be in front of a primary school with all kids watching, so he got arrested. And anyway, um, and and Corey and the others were sort of talking about that, and I was sort of here wigging a little bit. And Corey was like really outraged by it, um, and I just that just sort of confirmed my um, yeah. I just I was right. I thought to myself, "You don't worry, Evans. You were right all along. He's a dick." <laughs> um, yeah, he was just cut. He didn't like the. the just based on the sort of, yeah, the nudity bit. And I just thought, God, the sort of puritanical American sort of nonsense. I mean, as you know, Monday and I do, there's nothing sexual about nudity. It's I mean, just a body, just, Paul. It's just a body. It's not, it wasn't, you know, as far my understanding is Colborn wasn't erect. I mean, <laughs> you know, my kids have seen lots of knobs and that's not, like, don't, that's no threat to them. Like, just a flaccid, a flaccid penis isn't. <laughs> There's nothing sexual about it. It's just a body, isn't it? Maybe it's because I'm in France, but, you know, maybe it's a French mm-hmm. thing. But but anyway. Um, yeah, so anyway, yeah, yeah, going on a bit. But um, Corey Lopez <laughs> and, yeah, anyway, nothing about meeting him made me regret my sort of uncompromising stance. And I think, I could be wrong, but I think in sort of 14 years at the helm of the good ship surf Europe, I don't think we ran a single photo of him while my name was on the masthead i think he had at least one cover before i started there um and i'd probably say one of my very least favorite things about the entire brand o'neill was Corey lopez i sort of blo- blocked me on the whole brand for a while uh, but anyway he popped up oh and andy irons and the radicals i just sort of i went oh yeah i remember hmm Corey. He's out of my life now ben yeah well we just call you not we just spent the last 10 minutes talking about him yeah but yeah any any other bad stuff that you want to talk about? Uh, just quickly, uh, sort of delving back into the annals of time here, but the um, yeah yeah the surf contest names, Paul. I mm. mean, there's got to be a lot of work can be done on those. The new so the new events have come up in you know the new events in Australia, but they're at, they're at sort of traditional surfing venues like Newcastle and uh, North Narrabeen, but like. 
the Newcastle one's called the Rip Curl Newcastle Cup presented by Corona. Now, is anyone going to remember that in three months, three years, 30 years, Paul? No, they're not. I think they should all just be called either the Coke Classic or the Pipe Masters. Like, that, you just, they're, the only, they're the names that you remember. They stick, they work, and they fucking, you know what you're talking about. It says what it is on the tin. All these other ones, you know, you've looked down the list of, you know, some of the ones we commentated on the QS. I mean, they're, they're just an absolute word fucking shit sandwich, aren't they, Paul? They really are. And I just think that they should come up with, someone should be designated, someone in the WS, fuck, it should be me, basically, comes up with a uh, better naming. Well, I've got, I've got them. The Pipe Masters of the Coke Classic. That's what I reckon they should be called. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I fucking said yeah, it. Yeah, or maybe anything it's in Japan or it could be a Marui as well. It could be a, a, the, the Marui. The Marui Pro is quite a good one, isn't it, from that sort of era um, with the little singlets with the zero and the one on. Um, what about, I, t- I tell you what I quite like, is the Drug Aware Margaret River Pro. I thought it's a brilliant name. I mean, if you didn't know that what that was about, you just think they're making people aware of drugs. This is brilliant. <laughs> Like yeah. they've just got bowls, bowls of drugs when you, when you walk in or something, you can help yourself and just some little information about you find out more about drugs. It wasn't too far from it. Um, yeah, okay, yeah, uh, weird names, sure, sure. Doesn't, yeah, it's not something I would lose sleep over, but I know what you mean. They could do with some, some, some more consistency, but I guess it all comes down to the cold, dead hand of capitalism once again, doesn't True it? That. But yeah, disappointed to see Ripco sponsoring everything. Again, nothing particularly against them as a brand, but um, yeah, Ripco, do you remember just speaking of them? Um, again, without meaning to single them out. Do you remember they, they sponsored the Pipe Masters file? That was weird, wasn't it? It was the Ripco Pipe Masters. That was yeah, shit. That was shit. That didn't it? work out. That would be the one you wouldn't you wouldn't want to win. Um, just on actually, I just want to ask you one thing. On the fat surfers, didn't Oki? Um, didn't I remember hearing him that Oki was really upset with Doty, friend of the show, nah. um, because Trax did a top forty four sort of pullout, and they ran a photo of Ock, and he had like three rolls of belly fat over over his board shorts, and I think I thought Oki like blew up, or maybe punched him or something, or was that just a rumor? No, it was uh, Wayne Dart, who was uh, Sean's predecessor. Wayne who, Dart, uh, Darty. Wayne Darty. Dart was a he was he was the he's actually knee boarder, um, and he was near can't Ridgeway's. get much more Aussie than Wayne <laughs> Dart as a name, can you? Yeah, so Darty was uh, Ridgeway's deputy, and then became editor, and then. Um, so when Sean got the job, he was the editor. Yeah, so yeah, he he did the ASP, the pullout, which they gave away free. So they put about four hundred thousand of these things. I think I've got like, it. I think I got it because that was when I was in a, Australia. He's doing, a, in, he's doing a big forehand carve, but yeah, he's got like just the, he had a bit of weight on, but it's also just the way the um yeah just yeah. the way the angle was as well. So he was quite big. Yeah, and so that and at Bell's, yeah, Oki came up and saw them all like this. Like just a whole like bookshelf full of them, like a whole bookshelf full of them, and he just like kicked the bookshelf over and like ripped them off. Then went to Daddy and went, yeah, and fucking punched him or something. And yeah, it was all quite uh, untowards, but he didn't like it. Um, yeah, I've got that. That was I, that was when I was in Australia um, in two thousand. Like every other um, British person went for the millennium, and I bought a few tracks. I tell you what, he really liked about that period was Paul Ant-Man Patterson used to do recipes in it. 
Do you remember yeah, that little segment? Yeah. And he said he was a chef, wasn't he? And he, yeah, he used to have these, cook, yeah, man. He used to have these little recipes. And then I, what my favourite part of all, he used to sign it off and he'd say, yeah, make sure you put like mushrooms on your pizza, or like cook the pizza for a bit and then slice the mushrooms on or whatever. And the very last thing he'd say was, see you in the barrel, me looking out. <laughs> I just really like that. He just kind of just qualified that, like not just see you in the barrel. And then he just like, yeah, you're paddling. I'm in the tube, which I thought was brilliant. And also probably factually correct because he probably was. Good Classic stuff. Ant-Man. Good stuff from 2000 track, 21 year old surf mag chat. Um, <laughs> and that is in no way depressing. It's not the length podcast. I trailed a little Berkey earlier on. Let's hear from the man. Without further ado, there is a brand new awesome collection out between Burkhard Studio and Billabong Adventure Division. Two great collections, the Arctic and the Desert Collections. Um, Australian visual artist Luke Tafe involved as well in a collab with some of Chris Burkhard's um, iconic shots. Uh, and as part of sort of celebrating the launch of that wavelength, um, did get in touch with Burkhard and um, let's have a little listen as to some of the stuff he had to say. You said that Kelly called your hometown Pismo Beach the worst waves on the planet, um, which I'm sure it isn't. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> how how has home shaped your kind of adventurous lifestyle that you that you have now as first Christian? Man, that's a great question. Honestly, that's a it's a funny one. It's kind of you know I. I have a very, very strong feeling that he did say that um, because basically they used to hold like an, an old, you know, NSSA, like, yeah. you know, o- OP pro where, where I live. And it's just this, like, it's this year round kind of beach breaky sort of wave that um, you know, has, has appeared is consistent, but you know, that's irrelevant. It's, it's, it's more about the fact that just, it's never that good. Right. And I think, I think in some capacity, you know, that little bit of folklore like fueled me as a younger photographer to be like, Oh man, screw that. Like this place is rad. Like, you know, I'll, I'll show them, you know, sort of thing. Like when you hear, when you hear about like, you know, one of your kind of surf heroes, like saying this place sucks, you're like, you know, every dog has his day, just watch. So I think in some way, um, there was always, there's always been a, a reason to like prove oneself and growing up in the central coast of California, people always would joke that you just get looked over because if you go to the North in Santa Cruz, you have like, you know, it's home to like one of the most prolific surf scenes in the world, you know, Santa Cruz, so many people and so many big wave surfers and you gotta get it. Then you go, you go an hour and a half South and we have Santa Barbara which is like home to like all the best point breaks and, you know, everybody lives there and Tom Curran and Al Merrick and yada, yada, yada. And where we live, like I would say for every coastal County that, that has professional surfers or, or surf contests, there's probably the least amount of people who've ever made a name for themselves have come out of like San Luis Obispo, right. Or, or central California. So I guess when you talk about like how it shaped me, um, I grew up in this place that was fickle as hell and the waves were cold and sharky and the weather at times was dismal. And I think there was just always a need to prove oneself and prove that like, you know, although we might not have what some of the other places have, like, you know, what we, what we lack in good waves, we make up for in like solitude and, and nature and, 
and kind of these like ominous empty peaks that I just, I just fell in love documenting that aspect of surfing. It was always lonely in some way, you know, and I kind of found a lot of joy in that loneliness. What's, what makes a good, what makes a good surf photo? How does a photographer kind of get a little piece of themselves over in, in a surf photo? That, that's a, an excellent question too. And I, I think for each person it's a little different. And if anything, I would say that that, that evolves over time. Like in the beginning, you know, as a young buck, you know, who's just like going on trips for the magazine or, or trying to shoot photos for, you know, surf line or whatever, you're just thinking about like, you know, oh, front lit, tight action. You're thinking about all these like, you know, kind of buzzwords that you've heard over the years. But as time goes on, you sort of realize that like, it's critical to put a, put a piece of yourself into that photograph. And a lot of times what that means is like, you have to experience it in some way. Like, a photograph is kind of meaningless if you didn't have any intention behind why you shot it. So for me, I think a good photograph really has to represent like a place and a time, whether it's a place and a time in, in your life or a place and a time in somebody else's life, uh, maybe the athletes, maybe the location that was significant, you know? Um, and it's also an image that you're willing to talk about, an image that you're willing to share, an image that you have something to say. And if you have something to say about it, it's usually a good sign that photograph is meaningful and it might be valuable in some capacity. So I guess that's, those are kind of the anecdotes I look for. And, and you know, what I've realized is that in the grand scheme of things, those photographs that might be the most meaningful, they aren't like these perfect front lit action photos where the waves are, you know, where it's bluebird and offshore, it might be a more moody image. It might be something that, you know, just means something more to you as a person. If standing at like back door off the wall or something with a 600 next to a bunch of guys is, is one end of the surf spectrum, um, what's, what's the opposite end? I think growing up, like driving up the coast of California to try and find empty waves, like that was always my experience, you know? And it, and it wasn't just surfing. It, was, it wasn't just surf photography. It was like, this is, this is what I remember as a kid, like, you know, ditching, you know, dodging fences and like running across a field with elephant seals and you're surfing a peak by yourself. So when it came to surf photography as a, as kind of a career path, it might seem kind of cheesy, but I think the obvious other end of the spectrum would be standing on a beach in some cold place like Norway, you know, where it's snowing and it's remote and you're looking for, you know, these, these potentially like, remote unique waves but i think if i'm thinking about this in a deeper more personal perspective what what pipe and backdoor represent to me is the person who's taking zero risk who's sitting there with a 600 millimeter lens and a big gulp and they literally have like they know for sure what they're going to get you know what you're going to get you go to hawaii you know you know the images you're going to get so to me the other end of the spectrum isn't so much about scoring perfect waves versus scoring dismal waves in inhospitable conditions. It's about taking risks, going anywhere in the world that asks more of you as a photographer, as a creative, as a person, somewhere you feel kind of scared and out of your element. You know you're taking a leap of faith. I mean, that's the opposite of the spectrum. I heard you say as well in a, in a previous interview that if you if you do go to shoot somewhere like Pipe or whatever, you're basically just replicating, you know, stuff that's been done before. You're not going to like really discover or create something new. Although having said that, I remember seeing your um, photos from Mundaka and thinking that they 
they did look discernibly different. So I just want to ask you a little bit about how do you go about like is do you, you know is that something you set out to do and how how do you kind of make that happen? How do you put your own kind of stamp on an image and make something kind of that's recognizably yours? Oh man, that that means a lot. I uh, I appreciate you even saying that because it was it was kind of crazy, you know, going to my, it was actually, that was my first trip to, um, to France and Spain and, and you know, shooting Hossegur and, and all these places that I had grown up staring at photos of, you know, I was enamored by the, the ruler edge sandbars of Mundaka. We have so much research at our fingertips, so many opportunities to like look back at what's been done. And I think that being a student of the practice, like being a student of surf photography, being a student of magazines, you know, just like looking at everything you can, absorbing it all, not because you want to replicate it, but rather you want to do the opposite. Like if I know what's out there, you know, then I know what else I could do. Like I, I know that, you know, Mundaka, what I have seen are these epic photos from the water, you know, where there's like the church and like the, you know, the brick, like, you know, of the, of the like little town behind and yeah. just these perfect pits. And then I've seen these lineup photos. I've, I, I know what I had seen because it was seared into my mind. And so when I went there, I kind of tried to just like I would anywhere else. And, and it's the same approach I would take to really anywhere any assignment in the world is like, if I have to go shoot in a new place, I want to give this place the, the time it deserves and walk like 360 degrees around my subject. You know, I, I remember driving to the far beach where you could like look into the wave. Yeah. And I remember like, I remember going to the very highest point I could and then looking down from like this bridge and looking down from like the actual beach and just kind of like giving it the respect it deserves it'd be like me showing up at pipe and just seeing like, Oh, there's some photographers. I'm going to go post up next to them as opposed to like going there and, and kind of giving the respect that this place commands and, and looking at it from all perspectives. And I think that's the hardest thing that we do as, as photographers or even as like editors, like trying to tell a new story of an old place, you know? And so it forces you to look at it with a fresh perspective. And, and I think the way that I do that is I, I try to just, use my legs, like I actually go around physically, like observe it from all angles. And I remember being there and like kind of following some tourists, just some normal, like, you know, French tourists in the Basque country, like sitting there on this brick wall, watching the wave. And, and I, I kind of like followed them down and I was like right behind them kind of observing, observing the tourist watching this wave. And I was thinking, Oh, that's a really cool perspective. Like this is what a normal person would do. They would come and look at it and, and I looked around and there's no photographers. And that was honestly like where I composed all my images. Like I had this foreground of these people and I had this background of the wave and then the island. And I don't know. I think in some ways we overthink things and, and we try to kind of take a perspective that feels so, so focused on the action yeah. when really like the beauty of the place, you know, and I would say the same for, for, for these French beach breaks. Like one of my favorite spreads of all time was of that wave with the bunkers shot up on the sand dunes and it's this pulled back shot big a-frame somebody's getting barreled and it, it ran in surfer mag and i just like you know it was about it was about appreciating the location it was about the uniqueness of like what's on the beach you know people and how they would observe it and i think what makes a photo like that special is just you as a as a surfer can relate to it in some way because you that's a perspective that you might see can you describe the feeling of the power of an image 
like um, maybe the sort of influence it can have or is there like a first image that sort of stepped out of its intended sort of purpose and became a thing all of its own I'm, I don't know mate I'm thinking of maybe like the Pete Mendia one yeah no dude, dude that's you're spot on like that photograph of Pete Mendia and there was a couple other ones before that 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 you know it became more than I think what it was was it it became more than just an action photo it, it, it kind of immortalized an experience, right? And that's sort of what, I think that's the difference between surf photography and landscape photography. Like as a surf photographer or, or as anybody within the action sports world, you're kind of trying to document like the here and now, a photo that's like 2011, you know, or 2020, right? As opposed to trying to shoot something that you hope will last forever. Yeah. or they can't be dated or they can be like considered timeless. And I, I think what was, what was so powerful about that photo of Mendia when it won the Red Bull loom, it really like validated to me that like that nature in general and that the, the arena of waves was what was more the most significant thing, right? It wasn't like a tight photo of Andy Irons doing a big turn or Kelly or whatever it was. It was this, you know, and I don't want to take anything away from Pete Mendia, but you know, this kind of like, you know, normal everyday pro surfer, yeah. you know, experiencing this grandiose place. And, and I think that's like a yearning sensation. We all want to, we all want in our lives, but yeah, you know, it's weird when a photograph can kind of take on more than just like an image, it kind of becomes your identity. It becomes your persona for better or for worse. And I, I would say that, you know, looking back at that image, it's kind of hard because all I ever think about is how every other photo compares to that. And it's, it's, I've had a few moments where I feel like I've kind of struck gold or I've gotten lucky. Um, but in some way, you know, you're given these, like these glimpses of perfection, right? That's all it is. And, and you spend the rest of your life chasing that and it's impossible to do. And that's kind of our curse. Wow. Uh, Ben, I mean, I'll just say two words or is it one word? Goose, goosebumps, Ben. You got goosebumps? Yeah, I mean, that oh, was... Fucking hell. Is it cold in here? I'm not crying. You're crying. You got something yeah, in your eye? emotional. No, I'm just taking a little break. But yeah, that, that was that was emotional. Um, yeah, brilliant. Good, great chat. Good questions from me, uh, as confirmed by world's greatest surf dog, Chris Burkhart. And great, great answers from Berkey. Full interview up on wavelengthbag.com. It's not the length podcast. Okay, Ben, uh, it's time for popular, back by popular demand. What can said that? It's a quote-based quiz. Um, how many, how many, how many cunts and how many quotes have we got? Uh, I've got ten quotes. Um, if you get as if you get up to seven. Five. Come on, half and half. How about six? Let's compromise. Six. Six, you win, and you get to choose your own song. Have you got a song, Paul, that you'd like to play? I'm going to go for uh, Womack and Womack and their absolute classic teardrops from 1988, uh, Cecil and Linda Womack. And I just love the female vocal on there. And I sort of in many ways liken it to my own brand of surfing, but I like the way she's shown that you don't, you don't need to really go through all your full range and, you know, she just kind of like under slightly understates it's just a beautiful beautiful easy kind of silky voice um yeah i I, in some ways i would sort of liken that to my sort of mid-face highline um sort of thing style ben how about about, any thoughts on 
on Linda Wymack. And then, and what song? What song have you chosen? In well, yeah, yeah. Well, interesting, Paul. I'm going to uh, I'm going to hit you back with uh, the smooth, sultry uh, vocals of Roberta Flack, "Killing Me Softly." A beautiful, mellow song, and it, it, her her voice, her soft, tender vocals floating over. That that bed of, of beautiful melodies is like your surfing. It does remind me of your surfing too, Paul. So it's a weird, really weird uh, sort of juxtaposition there. But yeah, let's go with that. It's uh, it's a beauty, and I look forward to playing it after I ask you these questions. Number one. Now, keep keep. Yes, Paul. I was just going to say. So do you know, what I wish now. What? I wish that my sign off at the end of the show was Stephen the Barrel, me looking out. I'm gutted I already just remembered that. Why didn't I think of that when we started, when we started podcasting five years ago? It's my little... you got your little thing. Yeah, that you should can, be mine. I should have stolen that from Ant-Man. Sorry to interrupt. Start. Do it now. You can take it. Ant-Man won't mind. I'll text him. Fuck off. Now, these are sort of news-based. These are all things that have been said very recently. So I, you told me you were doing some deep dive in the surf content. So um, the first one is... It was either said recently or it's appeared in recent clips... First one is, I didn't even know if I was going to walk again. I thought, am I dying? Uh, Who said that? I didn't know if I was going to walk again. I don't know. I'm going to know when you say it. I don't know. Uh, it was Billy Kemper in the latest WSL. Turns out he didn't die. He was fine. Sort of leads me nicely to my next question. This is something that was uh, actually... Yeah. It was in the word, in featured as a written statement, but you might see who, who wrote this or what cunt wrote this. Well, I think Thomas Hermes, the Brazilian, 30, currently ranked 280 in the world, could firstly become sponsored by Hermes and bring his wax, extra, lash, extra leashes, etc., to the beach in a work of art Birkin. He could be the first to identify as a female and qualify for the Women's Championship Tour. Who wrote that? This is um, Charlie Smith, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It most definitely is. Former guest, former guest on the show back last summer. If you go back through the back catalogue, if you binge listening, um, the classic quiz: Evans and Riley versus Mundy and Smith. Um, yeah, okay, good, got that. The next one says uh, the first heat in the nineteen ninety three Coke Classic. I watched Kelly. He lost in round two heat to a little known surfer called Isaac Kanashiro, and that was a good lesson. Anyone is beatable. I mean, this is—you'd have to be delving through the WSL files to be uh, to to know this one, I'd imagine. Uh, is it Pauline Mensa? No, I'll say that this was a young. This was a pro surfer who was watching it as a fan for the first time. So he was—he went as a young, young, young sort of teenager to watch the 1993 Coke Classic. And he watched Kelly. He lost in round two. He the little known surfer called it. Yeah, so. It's okay. a current professional surfer that that watched that event back in 1993. Currently active. Currently on the CT, men's CT. Okay, so it's got to be an Australian. So you're talking your Owen Wrights, your Juliet Wilsons, your Adrian Buckins. Who is who's old enough? Uh, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Owen Wright. No, he's, he's not. Old, so, he's, he's not old enough. Sorry. Oh fuck it. I've, I've said it now. I've said it. Yeah, Ace Barkin it was. It was Ace, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, I could even give you half a point for that. Yeah, I think I'll very, have because I, I was just working out, as I said it, that Owen's no way old enough, but yeah, Ace is the only person really old enough, isn't he? I'm 
Next one, I'm following all the COVID protocols and do expect to be competing when I'm cleared. I want to wish all the WSL competitors and staff a safe flight. I'll keep everyone posted. And then, as a postscript, this video was filmed on my own on a ring light. <laughs> he wrote that. He said that. What cunt said that? Is it rumoured uh, patient zero from the Pipe Masters <laughs> outbreak, Pat Patchy O'Connell? <laughs> No, it's not. It's the most recent COVID-infected uh, member of the surfing tour, Caroline Marks, unfortunately. Yeah, so Caroline Marks, she was uh, tested positive for COVID this week. But, yeah, I like the bit at the end. She went, after that, she went, this video was filmed on my own on a ring light, just to add a bit of sort of sort of back production sort of story to the to the whole thing. I mean... The ring light business is a great game to be in. It's 2020 <laughs> support slash 2021, isn't it? Your ring flash. It really is. Oh, my God. You need, yeah, you need a ring light. More news. I'll just have to use the time to get myself up to a level physically I never really got back to after my broken foot in Jeffrey's Bay in 2017. Oh, get myself easy. out of constant Kelly pain. Yeah, Kelly Slater. He's, he's lying in me. Although, he's lying. a little birdie told me three months ago, that he was never in any way, shape, or form hopping on a plane with those that surfers and going to do quarantine. That was never going to happen. So he's, I don't mind pulling out the old injury card, and Kelly's got history with that, isn't he? But you can't pull out from an injury from 2017. <laughs> surely that's surely that's a bit, a bit, bit, bit too much. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, but when you get old, it, that happens, doesn't it? You see... Um, Sometimes old old ladies um, fall over and they have like a black eye for sort of eighteen months, don't they? I'm not. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> do you know what I mean? You sometimes yeah. see it in the local paper. They've had a shiner yeah. for sort of two years, so you know he is fifty next year. So it could be that Ben. I I would hate to call Kelly a liar as you just have. I got him, Thank so I've got two and a half. Not doing that well, am I? I mean. Struggling a bit here. I'm not sure if we're going to hear teardrops by Womack. Oh, you got, Womack. No. I just feel the love. The money is a bonus, but it's the love and the feeling of connection again. And the thing that makes you really happy as well is that I'm able to do- donate to other people. Oh, this has got to be Pauline Mensah. Yeah, naughty Pauline's oh, back again. That's right. Pauline, naughty Bo Emerton. Brilliant. And then I think it was uh, John Nilius from the Waverley Council in Bondi. He's, he's, uh, he's lobbying for a statue of Menzer on Bondi Beach. <laughs> Why does that make me laugh? <laughs> I don't know. It's brilliant. He said, you know what he said? He said, this isn't part of the quiz. He said, he believes she deserves a tribute as the only world surfing champion from the iconic break, especially given that less than 5% of the country statues are of, are of women and all of those are of British royalty. So <laughs> she was the first non British royalty statue in Australia of a woman, which I think is spot on. It's an honour to be a part of the team that I admire a lot with athletes that I respect that are a part of my trajectory in the sport. Yuck. Who said that? Yuck. <laughs> trajectory. <laughs> athletes. Wow. Um, someone has got a new Sponny. I really don't know. Let's go for... Um, who's a... Colohe Antino. No, it was Italo... Italo's joined Red Bull, oh, hasn't he? Of course, he? I knew that. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that. I knew that. Yeah, you should know that. Although, in terms of um, launches, it wasn't. You know, you know, like the Premier League have some amazing, like, 
launches, you know, when someone joins a team, they have all those incredible videos made. Like, they just had you play with that, these new red dreadlocks drinking a can Speak, of Red Bull, which I thought was a bit strange. Speaking of fat surfers, he could have been an outside <laughs> shot at my, at my list of fat surfers, couldn't he? Yeah, he's, he's also going to be a problem on the quarantine as well. Quite, uh, quite, Instagram. Quite chunky for a world he's, champ, for a world champ. It's kind of, he's buff and fat. <laughs> Fat, fat buff Okay Alright Well it's pretty much All over this He could struggle In middle age He could go quite round You can imagine him When he's 48 And he'll be Basically I think quite round With quite hairy ears Carry on Okay Well I think You've You're not going to get Your six anyway Are you So I, The two last quotes Are going to finish up on This was if actually I get these I think I've got it So you're not going to get this <laughs> Um, this was part of another research I did, but we'll see how you go. I've been watching the whole contest both at the beach. Sorry, sorry. Is every quote going to be from the World Surf League plane to Australia? Like every single... Nothing else? No one else said anything. Pauline Mensah, it It's Alive, Caroline Marks. Yeah, this one's, this one's okay, not okay, even... Okay. It's not, this isn't yep. recent. I've been watching the whole contest... Okay. And I'm kind of clutching at straws as well. I've been watching the whole contest, both at the beach at Gincho and at the ASP website, and I can tell you that I've never heard so many conneries from a professional speaker as this Ben Mundy. He's an idiot. He's got no know-how, and I wonder why they chose this retard to be part of a business. They definitely should get someone else. Was that Sophie Hammerschmidt, former CEO of the World Circle? <laughs> Was that Sophie? No, that was Valeria Zabai, a commentator, when I was looking up some uh, hates, introduction he quotes. You from me. <laughs> he actually, it's a woman. Oh, it's a she. She hates you. She yeah, hates a Monday. She, didn't, she, she hates Monday. She does. She, does. she hates a Connery, whatever that is, a C O double N E R I E. Well, it just means it's and French. It means Connery is like this bullshit, basically. Um, but you're, you're her Corey Lopez, aren't you, in many regards? You, <laughs> you're her Corey. Well, and as it turns out, that was the famous Flores incident, so not very long after, she, uh, she, she got a wish. Uh, this was another quote. It said, Paul Evans was affectionately known as the luscious limey in surf commentator circles. His posh British accent combined with quick wit and encyclopedic surf knowledge made him a rising star in the ranks. And even though he was calling one-star Q events in strange countries and girls' junior pros in lakes, the consensus was he was ending up in the big leagues. <laughs> but, but, well, I like this. <laughs> this is good. Um, is it yeah. Nick? Did I, also, did I say that? <laughs> like something I would say. Was it my mum, Linda Evans? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, uh, once again, our mate and yours, Chaz Smith. Oh. Um, yeah, but obviously you didn't. You didn't up in the big, big leagues, did you, Paul? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, uh, I'm in them now. You, got, you also got you also got banned from the uh, commentary booth. I read in that article, which you don't bring up as much as my commentary ban. I might like to add. Strumming my pain with his fingers, singing my life. Get in touch with the show. Let us know how you're enjoying. If you're in the UK, coming out of lockdown. If you're elsewhere, just let us know. Um, yeah, give us a shout out. Let us know where where you're tuning in from and how you're enjoying spring. And you know how surfing's making real sort of positive impact on your life. Ben, plans for your next wave riding opportunity? Um, I'm just gonna take it be, heat by heat. Take it heat by heat. I'm. Um, I tend to get these. 
uh, speeding fines every time I go down the coast. So I've got to stop that. That's costing me money. Uh, I'm going to keep an eye on the waves around here and afar. I don't think I'll be travelling soon, but I'll be sniffing around. Hopefully join you out there in not too distant future. I'm going to be uh, recording some woodpecker sounds I can send to you, Paul, and I'd encourage our listeners to do the same. If any particular birds they've captured, please send them on. Paul can, uh, can identify them for you. And, um, yeah, I'm just going to be soaking up the good times, soaking up the spring vibes and, uh, yeah, trying to just, just trying to be me, Paul. Great time of year to be a birder. Great time of year to be a surfer. What a time to be alive Monday. It's going to wrap up another fantastic episode of the show. Don't forget to wow, comment, leave us a review if that's your thing. Tell a friend. Why not go back and listen to the back cats? I'll give you haven't already. I'm Paul Evans reminding you... No, I'm not. I'm Paul Evans saying, see you in the barrel, me looking out. And he's Ben Mundy saying, get a dog up, yes. Yeah.